Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Winston Churchill once said, Every calling in life is great, provided it's greatly pursued. I'll say that again. Every calling in life is great, provided that it's greatly pursued. Many of us have callings in life. Maybe our calling is to be a parent, to be a mom or a dad. And so the parent strives to be great, and in doing so, they become a great parent. They're the parent that sits at the kitchen table to help their child with problems or with their homework. They're the parent that gets up in the middle of the night when the child is crying out that they're sick and then remains awake the entire night caring for their child. Or they're always there attending every school or athletic event, sitting in the bleachers. Their attendance alone supports their child. And therefore, they become a great parent. But most importantly, is that others benefit by that. In this case, the children or the kids themselves. Or maybe your calling is in healthcare, in some way, shape, or form. You're a healthcare provider. So you strive to be great at this. You always go the extra mile for your patient. You, despite the fact that you work a very long and hard shift, you stay. You stay and you go to that one patient that needed you the most and you sit at their bedside for an hour or so, comforting them. Or you become a tireless advocate for your patients, looking out for their best interests. Well, you become great at what you do in your profession. And most importantly, other people benefit by that, your own patients that you care for. Or maybe your calling is academics. In some way, shape, or form, you're involved in academics whether it's high school, grade school, college, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a secretary, whatever it may be, you're involved with academics. And so what do you do? You strive to be great at what you do. You develop your skills, always honing them so that they are better and better. Maybe as a teacher, you stay after school every day and you help those children that are struggling with problems in math or science or English. Or you become a great advocate for not just your students, but for their families, helping them either with tuition or financial problems or whatever it may be. In doing those things, you become great, and people benefit by that, your own students and their families. Well, the same thing is applicable in our faith life. You know, every calling is great, provided it is greatly pursued. Well, that is so true in the faith life. If we greatly pursue our faith, then we'll be great, great in our faith. And most importantly, others will benefit by that. I'll give you a great example. In both of our parishes, in the next few weeks, we're going to establish just another new ministry again. It's called Compassionate Hearts. And in this ministry, lay people will go out into the community and they'll volunteer for various different things 
whether it's making meals for people that cannot make their meals or whether it's taking people to doctor's visits or whatever it may be, just on a visit to play cards with somebody to make sure that they're not alone. These people have greatly pursued this ministry. And in doing so, we all benefit by that. And that's exactly, I think, what the message is for us this weekend. Now turn to the first reading. Here we have Joshua on the scene. He has succeeded Moses as the new leader of the Israelite nation. And in doing so, now he calls all the Israelite people together. But notice first where he calls them together. In Shechem. Now we have to realize in the Old Testament, Shechem is a very sacred and holy place. It's the place where Abraham, after he entered the promised land, he stopped, built an altar, and began to worship God in thanksgiving for all the promises that came true, all the promises that God made to Abraham. Well, as he was worshiping God, God appeared to Abraham and reaffirmed the covenant that they had together. And so Shechem is a very sacred and holy place. See, Joshua knows this. And we see this, you know, with politicians on a regular basis. You know, politicians that want to give some speech, an important speech on the economy or politics or foreign affairs, they'll choose a specific site that emphasizes the importance of whatever speech they're giving. Well, Joshua is doing the same thing. He calls all the people of Israel to Shechem. Now, from the very beginning, we know something great is going to happen here. And so Joshua then, he challenges the people. Now realize, Joshua is leading the people back to the promised land. For decades now, they lived in Egypt as slaves. And now Joshua leads them back to the promised land. But the important thing to note is now that they are back in Israel, they realize that there are other people living there, other nations, nations that have different values, customs, and beliefs that are contrary to the values and beliefs that the Israelites have in their covenant with God. And so he's asking for the people to continue to remain faithful to the covenant. That's why he tells them, if it does not please you to serve the Lord, decide today whom you shall serve, the God your fathers served beyond the river, or the God of the Amorites in whose country you are now dwelling in. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Well, Joshua is asking the people to remain faithful to the covenant that they have with God. Despite the fact that they're living in a foreign land with foreign values and traditions that are contrary to what they believe in. Essentially, what Joshua is telling the Israelites, if they essentially strive to be great in their faith, then they will be. And everyone will benefit by that. Well, that's a great segue now into the gospel. Here in the gospel, Jesus, remember over the past several weeks, as we have read the gospel, Jesus has emphasized the importance of the Eucharist, how it is so important for us to eat his body and drink his blood on a regular basis. Well, now he finishes up that lesson. But how do the people respond to that? Do they take it in and accept it? No, on the contrary. The gospel begins, many of Jesus' disciples who were listening said, this saying is hard, who can accept it? So the people reject it. They reject everything that Jesus taught to them about the Eucharist. Now, with that in mind, does Jesus back off? Does he water down his teaching? No, on the contrary, 
He turns it up a notch. He intensifies his teaching. That's why he says, It is the Spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Now, God wants nothing more than for us to have life and life in abundance. But what's required of us? To greatly pursue our faith. If we greatly pursue our faith, then we will have great faith. And then everyone else within our faith community will benefit by that. But notice the people are walking away from Jesus because they have no faith. Now compare and contrast the scene. Here you have people that have faith versus people that don't have faith. The people that have faith are the apostles who stand with Jesus. They don't walk away from him. You know, we are those people ourselves. Every time we gather for Mass, we reaffirm our faith in Christ. You know, every time we gather for Mass on Saturday night or Sunday, we continually stand with Jesus. If we didn't have faith, we wouldn't be in churches on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings. But we do have faith. Why? Because people of faith open up themselves. They open up their will and their intellect, their heart, their mind, and their soul to receive the Holy Spirit. And we are enlightened by that. And in doing so, our faith grits stronger because of that. But notice, the people that walk away from Jesus, they don't have faith. I think their problem is that they try to intellectualize everything that Jesus taught to them about the Eucharist. What they are doing is they're using reason to understand what Jesus is teaching them, apart from faith. And that's their problem. You cannot separate reason and faith. Instead, both go hand in hand. Both reason and faith are complementary to each other. That's what helps us to grow in our own faith. That's why it says at the end, As a result of this, many of the disciples returned to their former ways of life and no longer accompanied him. I think their problem was that they wanted Jesus to conform his teaching and his beliefs to their beliefs and their values. Well, that's just not going to be the case. Instead, we are people of faith because we conform ourselves to all of Jesus's teachings and beliefs and values. Now, what happens next? Well, as the people are walking away from Jesus, picture it in your mind. Hundreds of people surrounding Jesus, and now suddenly they're all walking away from him, abandoning him. Then comes that watershed moment. As they're walking away from him, Jesus now turns and he looks towards his apostles and says, Are you too going to leave me? Now, I would argue this is probably one of the most dramatic scenes in the entire Bible. You could say all of Christianity is teetering on the brink of annihilation. All of Christianity now is hanging in the balance. If the apostles walk away from Jesus, now the Catholic Church is ruined. It's over with. It ceases to exist because the apostles represent the church. More to it, Jesus' mission has failed. What is he going to do next? But the apostles remain. And Peter utters those beautiful words of faith in which he says to Jesus, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. Well, those are words of faith. And I would say every time we gather for Mass, we echo those same words. 
we recommit ourselves to Jesus Christ. Every time we gather for Mass, we stand with Jesus Christ. We don't walk away from Him. More to it, we gather for Mass and we greatly pursue our faith in the best way possible. And in doing so, our faith becomes great, and we all benefit by that. I'll give you another great example of this. In the two parishes that I have right now, we've established about 12 different ministries over the past three years since I've been here. And they are ministries in which lay people volunteered to lead these ministries, and they greatly pursued these ministries, and their faith grew because of that. But most importantly, both of our parishes, both of our faith communities benefited from all these different ministries. And so it is true what Winston Churchill said, all callings in life are great, provided that they are greatly pursued. Well, so too with our faith. If we greatly pursue our faith, then we will have a great faith. Most importantly, we will all, the entire faith community, will benefit by that. And that's truly a blessing from God. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.